This is Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN 927's digital channel Carnival. I'm Peter Holden and welcome to Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN 927's digital radio channel Carnival via the RSN Racing and Sport app and rsn.net.au. This program is also available as a podcast from Thursdays by going to the RSN website and searching for Women's Australian Rules Football or finding our podcast via iTunes, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud or Spotify. Just type in Women's Australian Rules Football Radio. Coming up on this week's program, we're going to be catching up with former GWS Giants footballer Courtney Garman talking about her career not only at AFLW level, but also playing in the exhibition matches of 2013 and 2014, playing with the Stingrays in the AFL Sydney Women's Competition and with Morpherville Park and Adelaide Women's in the SAWFL, now known as Adelaide Footy League women's plus in the Sanford women's competition with Glen Helg and South Adelaide. There's a lot to get through and that'll be coming up shortly. Also we'll be checking in with the international footy scene with what's happening in London with Shannon Power and what's happening in the United States with Brian Barish plus our state leagues wrap as we focus on the AFL Sydney women's competition with Lauren Hodson on the QAFLW with Ant Wingard and the VFL women's with Matthew Cox. That's all coming up but first the latest women's footy news. Well, it's been a long process, but the Collingwood Football Club have finally announced their new AFLW senior coach. His name is Stephen Simons. He coached Norwood in the Sanford Women's Competition over the last three years, including to their inaugural premiership in 2017. He'll be taking up the role at the Magpies in two weeks' time, and he'll be available to the media then. Also, some more good news out of Collingwood with Chloe Malloy, who missed this AFLW season through a list frank injury. Uh, she returned from that injury on the weekend against the NT Thunder and performed very well in the first half that she played. She was rested for the second half. Turning our attention to the AFL Women's Under-18s Championships that kicked off over the weekend. Two games were played on the Friday night. South Australia 13-5-83, defeating the Northern Territory 4-1-25. New South Wales ACT 11-5-71, defeated Tasmania 2-1-13. And in Game 2 of that series played on the Sunday, South Australia 10-11-71, defeated the Northern Territory just two behind, while New South Wales ACT 13-684 defeated Tasmania 2-4-16. Now joining us on the line here at RSN 927's digital radio channel Carnival to look back on what was a short but stellar AFLW career from the GWS Giants. It's great to have on the line Courtney Gum. Courtney, how are you? Yeah, well, thank you. Great to have you on the line. Now, normally we do a jump straight into going back to your junior days, but I want to start with something a little quirky first of all. We Google searched the name Courtney Gum, obviously, to look at your career, but this popped up from the AFL shop. How does it feel that available is the Courtney Gum GWS Giants AFLW 3D printed mini league figurine? <laughs> It's ridiculous, really. Um, my, I think my nana actually has that, by the way. I think someone along the way um, 
found out that that was available and told my nana. So um, I think my auntie and my nana each got one. So, but that's probably the only two that have been sold. I'm sure. So, yeah. <laughs> so if anyone wants to part, it doesn't, doesn't have the likeness is a little bit dubious. I feel, but. <laughs> so if anyone wants to part with $69, they can get an 18-centimetre-sized Courtney gum to have it on their desk at work. Why wouldn't you, you know? What's, you know, 69 bucks. <laughs> you couldn't spend it on anything better, really. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so let's talk about yourself, uh, Courtney, growing up. Um, you actually grew up in a, in a footy family. Um, your dad, Gary, uh, played 65 games in the 70s for North Adelaide. Uh, your brother, Josh, also played at North Adelaide in the late 90s. And your uh, younger brother, Tristan, also played um, at Sturt and then over at Subi in uh, the WAFL. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I definitely grew up in a a sporting family and just, I guess, well, a football community, I guess. So, um, obviously, I grew up in the mid-north of South Australia um, and basically the whole community revolves around the footy and netball comp. So, um, that was a huge part of our lives. Was it a very uh, competitive family, um, not just in football, but I'm guessing in a range of other sports in the backyard and yourself and your brothers um, all trying to get one up on each other? Absolutely, yeah. So, I guess um, we grew up on a farm and um, there's not obviously a great deal to do, and my dad was really good. He, um, we had a little uh, uh, backyard basketball ring. We had backyard cricket. We had lots and lots of various lawns. We had a cricket um, um, turf that we used to roll, and we tried to make a tennis court. And so we used to play like backyard everything basically, and it, you know it was highly intense and competitive and. I think that's definitely where a lot of my competitiveness um, came from. So, yeah. Like myself, you were born in 1981. So growing up as a kid through the late 80s and early 90s, uh, back for when there wasn't much of a, a sporting opportunity in football, particularly with the restriction uh, being around under-12s, under-14s, depending on what part of the country you were from. So what were your choices in sport and what did you like to play as, as you grew up through your childhood? Yeah, I guess also coming from... Um, the small country community that I came from um, uh, in the winter, boys played footy and girls played netball. Um, and I actually don't remember back then of any girls actually being allowed to play footy. So maybe there were, but I certainly didn't know of anyone. Um, I remember uh, Rebecca Redden came from a town near me and her dad, um, Mick Redden, he's a bit of a great football player in South Australia. And, uh, it was always good going to Oruru because she would keep the footy with me and just, you know, you know, just as good, which was lots of fun. Um, but other than that, then in summer it was um, basketball and tennis. And really, that was they were the only sports that we had growing up. And things have come such a long way, if we just jump forward just a moment, that obviously you're playing the GWS Giants side with Tate Mackerel, and I hate to say she, she was about half your age, but the the generation <laughs> the generation that she came through from a similar background, she was Port Broughton in the mid-north. Of course, she got to play youth girls football. Yeah, yeah, very different, you know. Um, yeah, times have changed, and for the better. Um, I, I, I think I, I, I'm... It's highly likely, I think, that if, if football was um, widely accepted, that I probably would have chosen to play footy. I mean, um, certainly at recess and lunch, that was all I did with the, the boys at school. So, um, yeah, it's really exciting for the girls nowadays that that is, you know, a really valid pathway for them. 
If we look at the stats, it shows that you popped up playing footy in the AFL uh, Sydney Women's League, back then known as the SWAFL in 2009. But can you fill in the gap? What was the life of Courtney Gum like post-leaving uh, the Mid-North to ending up in New South Wales? Yeah, I guess um, when I left school, um, I obviously went down to Adelaide to study physio. And at that point in time, sort of around about year 12, <laughs> I started playing um, netball in Adelaide and I, I very much had my sights set on playing netball at the highest possible level. Um, and I, I played state league netball in South Australia and did relatively, you know, like relatively successful um, up until I was about 23, I think. Um, and then I'd finished my physio and it was always in my sights to go off traveling and I probably sometimes I kind of feel like maybe I should have stuck at netball for a little bit longer, but um, I went off travelling um, and working as a physio overseas for about two and a half years. Um, and then I guess when I was about 26, I came back, yeah, something like that, 25, 26. And then, um, yeah, I was just, yeah, playing. I actually ended up playing country netball um, and I uh, worked as a physio, a few pretty. Um, normal boring years and then for some reason I decided to move to Sydney I think just for a bit of a sea change and so I moved there in 2009 and it was not long before I was leaving I was at um, an event with some friends that I grew up in Bullery with and two guys and these two particular guys like they were some of my main rivals um, in backyard footy um, and I think I'll attest to that and when I said I was moving to Sydney, one of them said, oh, you should play footy um, when you're over in Sydney. I, my um, Emily, his sister, played women's. And I was like, oh, my gosh, is there a women's team? Um, and he's like, yeah, yeah, the um, UNSW. Well, I don't know if it was the Stingrays then, but he said, yeah, UNSW. So when I got over to – well, actually, pretty well the next day, I remember emailing um, and saying, oh, I'm going over to Sydney. Um, would you guys um, be looking for people to come on board? And I think I got a response. I think they were desperate for numbers, and I got a response within like 24 hours. And that's kind of where it all started. So, And that started you on a long road, 2009, 2010, with a sting race. And in 2011, you had the honour of representing the New South Wales Blues at the National Championships. A few famous names in that team from throughout uh, Sydney women's football history. Laura Holdsworth, I see there, from the uh, former Balmain Dockers. Uh, Jen Liu yep. from Sydney University. We'll talk about Jen in a moment. Irish woman Marie Keating at Sydney University. Yep. Libby Sadler from Sydney Uni. Gemma Still also from the Sting Race. And I pick out two yep. names. First of all, our very own Christy Williams, our stats guru here at Women's Australian Football Radio. She wore the number one. She was from Sydney Uni. You wore the opposite number at the end, the number 28. And your future assistant coach at the GWS Giants for your first year, Tracy Kick, was the New South Wales coach. Yeah, I know. It's uh, the footy world, particularly in New South Wales, is well, actually, across the board. So it's more well. So, which is nice. It's nice. um, You know, I guess um, I used to play footy against, well, in the National Carnival. We used to play against Daisy and Chelsea, and they were still big names back then. But it's, um, you know, it's great to see. It's great to watch, you know, people's journeys, and um, they've put in, you know, the hard yards when it wasn't quite so big and popular, and now um, they're kind of reaping their rewards. So. 
Is it difficult that, to, to go back online? Because I've, I've done a bit of Google research. We know that there's a lot, at least for the first 10 years of the SWAFL, they've got their history online. There's a bit of a, a gap in years between 2010, 2011, before the eventual switch to AFL Sydney. Do you, feel, oh, right, okay, yep. do, do you feel as a veteran coming through that possibly some of those years are overlooked because a lot of the players that are playing now in AFLW were playing through those what I call critical formative years? Yeah, look, I think um, I, I think there, it definitely was a transition and I think um, there were some big names and I think it took a little while for um, you know some of the talent to be found and um, and yeah, I guess certainly back then there was a whole there, – there's a whole lot of talent from back then that, as you said, is currently in the AFLW. Um, and, yeah, I would imagine a few were lost along the way. So, yeah. I want to focus on a standout year for you, 2012. And you started off the year in brilliant fashion. I, I dug up this little gem courtesy of uh, the Big Footy website and someone who wrote a review on – Round one of the AFL Sydney women's competition under the name I Love Meat Pies. Great name. Uh, that they wrote uh, in the third game, the UNSW East Stingrays leapt to the top of the table, winning 5 5 35 to 1 4 10 over a gallant Southern Power. According to one of the spectators at the game, Courtney Gum was like Gary Ablett, pulling in about 40 possessions, easy as you please. How do you feel about <laughs> that description being, I guess, compared to Gary Ablett? But at the same time, you know, standard opening game of the season. Here's a lazy 40 touches. <laughs> yeah. Um, I was certainly much probably more agile and fitter than I was than I am now. But, um, yeah, it was, I guess, Sydney AFL, definitely, I guess, to put it in perspective, it wasn't as strong as something like Victorian League. But, um, you know, it was fun. I really, really enjoyed it. It was so nice finally. Um to get an opportunity to play, I just remember there were. I particularly at that time, I certainly had no expectations around what you know any sort of pathway through into the AFLW. It, uh, we were I and the rest of the teams were playing for fun and because we loved it. Um, yeah, so um, yes, it sounds like it was a good good afternoon out. <laughs> The inaugural AFL Sydney Sam Moston medal for the best and fairest in the women's premier division, back then Division 1, was announced in 2012. You would become the first, the inaugural winner of this medal after the AFL Sydney took over the competition. You won that year by a clear six votes from future teammate at the Giants, Melissa Freckleton. How does it feel to look back on that moment to be judged as the best player in, in the Sydney women's competition? And I guess... At, at that stage, this is pre-AFLW exhibition football, um, I guess possibly the pinnacle of your career at that moment. Yeah, as I said, it was such a it was such a strange little um, progression, as I said, from going from having really no expectations around anything. Like, you know, I was really just going to have a kick and just live out a childhood dream. And, um, yeah, I... You know, to be quite honest, yeah, it was the progression of my AFL career, including um, winning the Sam Austin Medal and a, a few other things after that, was that was definitely a highlight of my sporting career and something that I um, I thought I'd sort of um, missed lots of opp- not, not not 
I thought I'd kind of finished my um, elite and semi-elite professional um, sporting career. Um, so it was a real, yeah, they were all very much highlights. Um, yeah, and you know, I feel really grateful for. You almost went back to back on that. You actually fell just one vote shy of uh, tying with Maddie Collier the following year. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Bloody Maddie Collier nicked me. <laughs> That'd be right. And of course, uh, Maddie would be your teammate, the GWS Giants, and of course now heading over to the West Coast Eagles for the next season. In, in that year, in 2013, before the exhibition game, I do want to mention a couple of things to point out. One, you actually got appointed to the leadership group of the uh, AFL New South Wales ACT side to go to the national championship. It was a good one for you personally. I read here the 2013 AFLW report. Debbie Lee Medal, Courtney Gum, fairest and best player at the AFL Whitney, uh, AFL Women's National Championships. She was also named AFL New South Wales ACT's Footballer of the Year, the first female footballer to win the award. Yeah, that was a good year. <laughs> that was yeah, it was good. I, um, the Debbie Lee Medal again. That was a really um, amazing experience. I think you know that year again. Chelsea Randall was there. Steph Choch, um, Chochi was there, um, Jason Pierce, there were some amazing players and really they were equally as deserving to win that medal um, and, you know, I won it, which was always, you know, um, I think with those sorts of medals, yeah, it's really great to win them. It's an amazing thing. It's, I definitely, There's definitely other people that are equally as um, deserving of those kinds of things. And then... Um, Oh, and the I think the the medal you're talking about was the Howarth Trophy. That's correct. So, yeah, that was that probably almost one of my favourite um, medals to have won. It was really cool. I think um, Dane Rampey had won it the year before, and and I was really fortunate. I just felt so proud of of that, and it was really great because um, AFL New South Wales recognised a female um, amongst the men, um, which was. You know, um, I think it was amazing for AFL New South Wales to do that. Um, yeah, and I, um, yeah, I feel really proud of that. That was great. So, twenty thirteen comes along um, for the first ever AFLW exhibition game, the first ever uh, AFLW draft. If I'm correct, for that first game that was played on uh, June twenty nine, twenty thirteen, um, the players actually had to paid themselves to fly down to take part in this game? Yeah, I can't. Do you know what? I actually can't remember. Um, I can't remember if I had to fly myself. Maybe I did. I'm not, I'm not entirely sure or whether or not AFL New South Wales pitched in. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was it was amazing because it was obviously the first AFL-sanctioned um, match to be played because there was this amazing um, buzz about it. Um, it was really interesting back then. Um, there were lots of trolls, you know, like um, I'm sure there are now. But, yeah, there the definitely wasn't – I think nowadays there's more positive feedback than negative. And uh, But I think back then there was lots of, you know, probably naysayers, um, certainly back then. Um, and uh, I think we probably all felt like – even back then, we were just we were starting to be part of something, and there was glimmers of um, 
you know, potentially there were little whispers around the fact that there potentially was going to be an AFLW competition of sorts at some point in the future. So, um, and that certainly for me was the start of thinking about, oh, wow, maybe there might be something a bit bigger and better going on in AFL. Let's talk about that for a moment because, um, and I'll, I'll just take a quick step back. You were actually taking this pick number 25 for the Melbourne Demons, which you'd play under a future Fremantle coach, uh, Michelle Cowan, who coached the Demons in those early years. The initial uh, plan for the AFL women's competition was actually to kick off in 2020. So when you're actually playing in that game in 2013, what's going through your mind about, okay, this could be seven years away? Yes. So, and that's the thing. I think um, that was always the talk, you know, that it would be 2020. And I think around that time, I was obviously 32, 33, 33. I was already feeling old. I remember playing in that match and there weren't many people. It was, you know, it was me and Meg Hutchins. And I think, um, yeah, even then we were the, the oldest playing and I just felt even old then. <laughs> so I kind of... Um, you know, I, I definitely felt like if it was 2020 that, you know, I wouldn't be um, probably part of that. So um, it was a really interesting shift for me when when it moved to 2017. Yeah. So you've played in the 2013 game. You played in the 2014 match. And then by 2015, you find yourself back in South Australia. What led to the move back home? Yeah, so my partner Chrissy and I, um, we had a we had Buzz, our son. Um, so that was in twenty fourteen, no, twenty fifteen. Sorry, um, February twenty fifteen. And I'm from obviously South Australia, and it was just more financial. It was a better lifestyle and financial decision for us to move back to South Australia. Um, and I subsequently started a physio clinic, and we started we gutted our house and. So began a really difficult time in our lives, um, all because of our own decisions. But yeah, it was really tough um, from sort of 2015 financially and um, just in time and, you know, juggling responsibilities, those kinds of things. Did that lead over the next uh, uh, couple of years to affect either A, your football preparation or B, just your time to play football? Because we know going through um, the stats for uh, 2015 and 2016 when you played at the Morpherville Park Roos, uh, you played Division One footy only five games in 2015. In 2016, you actually played three games in the lower division, in Division Two, and then five in Division One. Yeah. Um, so 2015, I remember driving back to Adelaide and... Rural Smith called um, and asked if I wanted to play for the Morphys. And I was like, yeah, sure, that sounds great. Um, and I think, so that would have been in April or May. So I think they may have started maybe, something like that. Maybe it was April that we left. Um, and in my second game, I actually broke my finger. So I sort of sh- fractured, dislocated it, um, which was really quite awful because of work um, so I had to have surgery on it and I was meant to start physio work but I actually couldn't work for eight weeks which with you know moving house um, being out of you know was a big strain in itself and so then <clears throat> after eight weeks I got back to work and then um, I'd sort of at that point in time you know we had you know we were just 
already under the pump a little bit and I sort of had put footy out of my mind because I was you know trying to work and we had a, a what a three four month old baby and that kind of thing um, and then leading into the finals Ralph Smith rang and said oh hey do you want to come out for finals so um, I said oh sure no worries and went out and played finals and then the next year it was even worse financially we we really kind of dug ourselves in a hole <laughs> and um, and I just well, it wasn't an option for me to go out and play footy I just I couldn't afford the time um, away from the clinic and the family. We were, and it, it isn't actually a lie. We um, for three months in the January we were in a tent, living at our house, and all of that stuff that's been kind of reported before. So um, basically, not long, maybe a, a couple, a week or two after we moved from the tent into the house for the first time ever since the, you know, been gutted. A year or more ago, or 18 months ago, um, I rang Rick Watts and said, oh, hey, can I come out and um, have a kick kind of thing. And about that time was um, when the AFLW had been announced to maybe for the next year, I think it was. Um, yeah, so I went out to Morphe's again. He said, yeah, no worries. And, um, yeah, they put me in the Div 2s um, and then um, – I think they maybe they were short numbers or something like that, and so I got to play the finals, um, um, which we won again, which was cool. Yeah, and that was sort of that was that 2000. Am I right? The 2016 season. Exactly, it was the last one before um, the AFLW uh, commenced in in 2017. Did you actually throw your hat in the ring for that inaugural draft, or, or because you'd played such limited time in 2016, you, you sat it out? No, I did throw my head in the ring. I probably, I don't know, without Chrissy, my partner, really pushing me to do that, I probably, I don't know if I would have, but, you know, I guess it might, the, my memory of the logic behind it was you're 36 um, or maybe 35 at the time. You're not, you're not going to get another chance. This will be your last chance. So that's, you know, at that time. Um, yeah, so I think I... <clears throat> Yeah, I thought, you know, I guess I had, I felt like I'd probably had a, a history of playing. Like, um, so, yeah, so I did put my hat in the ring for the Crows, yeah. So the Crows would end up saying no. Before yeah. we talk about the, uh, uh, the, a Sandfall W competition and, of course, the SAWFL, um, what led to the initial conversations for you to consider playing with the GWS Giants and throwing your hat in the ring there? Um, I think um, Chrissy, my partner, who's also a coach in her own right, maybe called one some of the one of the administrators um, at the Crows. And just sort of said, "Oh, hey, um, I actually I can't exactly remember what happened, but somehow, um, um, yeah, I think it was we got in contact with the Crows and just said, look, um, you know, uh, Courtney's just started playing, or I've just started playing um, again, um, and you know, is there any chance that I can? Um, I think there was a testing day or something like that, um, and can you know, Courtney, you're because it was probably Chrissy, I think, that um, contacted her and said, can she come out and, you know, can you have a look at her kind of thing? Because I think a, a lot of the time, you know, at this level, 
at that level, you often have to have people advocating for you because um, there's so much, so much, so many people around. So you need to kind of have people in your court that are willing to kind of say, "Look, here they here they are. This is this is what they're like," kind of thing. So the crows ended up passing on you, and I guess you answered answer the best way possible back. You played with Glenelg in the Sanford Women's Competition for that first year. It was a 14 competition. You ended up taking out the competition best and fairest. Then you backed up to play for Adelaide University in the South Australian Women's Football League, now known as Adelaide Footy League Women's uh, Division 1. And I remember the grand final. If I'm correct, you did an injury in the warm-up, which forced you to the <laughs> forward line. And, of course, sitting there in the forward line... Sitting there in the forward line, you kick seven goals. Yep. Yes, that's correct. I know. I sort of had a little. Um, I know it's, a, it's probably an age thing. I've I've got an unstable. I've done a few injuries on my right ankle, and I had a little tip post tweak in the warm up. And uh, yes, so then I was like, oh, can I play in the forward line? And so yes, I loved the forward line, and I kicked a few goals, which is always fun. Um, yeah. Yes. Again, that was a. That's a good day out. Yeah, I don't mind staying back around the, the goal line. <laughs> and, of course, they filmed it as well. So, therefore, uh, when Buzz gets a little bit older, you can just keep playing that back again and again and again. Hey, he, he's, <laughs> he's mum kicking seven. Do you want to watch that again? Exactly. Exactly. I, I must actually find that. I might have to get you to send that through because um, I don't know if I'd find it in the archives. So, that's happened 2017. The draft rolls around 2018. It's the third round. You were taken by the GWS Giants. What's immediately going through your head of, okay, I have a business and I have a family here in Adelaide and they're asking me to play in another state? Yes, it was. Um, Okay, right. Now we've got to get organised. So um, obviously we'd spoken as a family, we'd spoken about kind of the logistics to a point. And fortunately, Chris is from Sydney, so um, I just, you know, it was quite easy for me to kind of go across and live with Sarah, her sister, which is, you know, pretty amazing. I don't know how it would go, you know, if Sarah, wasn't, Sarah and Joan weren't there. I don't know how it would have gone otherwise. Um, but, yeah, it was pretty – I think it probably within three weeks – yeah, probably about within three weeks of being drafted, you know, you're expected to be – three or four weeks, you're expected to be over, you know, in Sydney. So, yeah, it's not – it was, it's not easy with a young family. And I think I took Buzz for the first three weeks that I went across. Um, but he really, really, really missed Adelaide. So, um, you know, he, he came back with Chrissy for most of the, the rest of the time. So you'd end up going to Sydney. Do you recall your first game for the Giants? Is it all a blur yeah, or, or do you have vivid no, memories? Actually, no, no, it, it isn't. I... Well, I guess in terms of nerves, I've never really struggled. You know, I get to a little bit nervous, um, but nothing too bad. But particularly that game against Melbourne, I've never, ever, ever, ever been that nervous. Um, just because I guess, I guess, you know, I had in my head, you know, maybe that maybe I was too old or too slow or not good enough because I'd never really had the opportunity to. Um, actually put it out on the table and say, you know, compete against um, people at that level. Um, so it was. I, I think I was really struggling with, you know, am I actually 
you know, you're going to be able to do this. Um, and I think, you know, we were lining up against just an all-star midfield with Daisy, Hickey, uh, um, O'Day and Paxman. So that was pretty daunting to come up against to start with. And particularly when they can just rotate through Mithen and Smith at, at their pleasure. Yes, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, they just, they've, and, you know, I, I always, in the year before in season one, <clears throat> they felt like in the, you know, the sort of last end of the season, they really picked up some momentum. So. You're listening to Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN 927's digital radio channel Carnival. We're chatting with Courtney Gum, who over the last two years played with the GWS Giants in the AFL Women's Competition. We'll have more of this interview coming up right after this. There's jumpers, hoodies and tees for you at leaguetees.com.au Leaguetees.com.au is your place for retro footy gear with designs created by local artists that you won't find anywhere else. Plus, their unique range of women's footy tees help raise funds for Indigenous literacy programs. Get online and start shopping today. Leaguetees.com.au we're continuing our chat with Courtney Gump, formerly of the GWS Giants. And, Courtney, we need to focus on now the middle of that 2018 season. You meet Collingwood at Olympic Park Oval, a big game for both sides. It's a game that the Giants would not only end up winning and getting some momentum going, but Heath Shaw put his credit card on the line and said to the Giants, if you win, if you beat my old side, Collingwood, I will shout the whole team. He did. And I need to ask you the question. What did you order on Heath Shaw's credit card? A ste- he took us to um, a steakhouse and I I just, I just ordered a nice steak, actually. And I think a few of the girls ordered a nice steak. And uh, we had a few sides. I don't think we didn't overdo it, which was kind of nice because there was a huge bunch of us. Um, but we, we definitely, we didn't go too overboard. So he was, um, that was very, very generous of him. How did I don't it, think he'd offer that up again. How did it feel to be in your debut of the AFLW and you're hitting almost the last round and you've got a roll going with the GWS Giants and all of a sudden there's whispers and everyone's talking, if the math goes the right way, the Giants could make the grand final here. Yeah, it was so exciting. You know, I think um, season two was... Um, you know, we just didn't know. It was such a different team from their AFL1 team and obviously they hadn't had a very successful time. And we just, I think it took us, you know, a few games to actually um, be in a winning mindset. And, um, yeah, it was quite crazy to think, you know, that we, you know, if we'd obviously won that game, we would have been through to the grand final. And, um I think, um, you know, everyone would think this, but um, if it was maybe a longer season, it would have been interesting to see how it went. And, you know, we had a couple of um, doozy matches early on as well. So, I don't know, it's just so great for the club and the girls. I think GWS have a pretty tough job of it in the AFL, in the AFLW, just with, um, you know, it being still semi-professional and having to get, um, some obviously interstate talent to come over and, and there's all sorts of um, complexities that come with that so yeah, it, was, it was great for the club and for the girls 
How did it feel during that breakout year to have all that hype around you, which is normally reserved for someone that's an 18-year-old, that's a rookie that's coming through, and here you are then at age 36 being uh, the player everyone's talking about? Yeah, it was really strange, actually. You know, um, obviously it's very flattering and and it's it's nice to be talked like that. talked about like that for sure um yeah I think you know what though I think um I think there are many um roles in a team and um and there's so many great players who play well for different reasons and maybe being a bit older I I sort of um it's really nice and it's great and it's great to feel like you're playing well and contributing um but I sort of I feel like I'm a, a bit realistic in the fact that there's, there's lots and lots and lots of great players and for lots of different um, reasons. And you don't have to rack up, you know, 20 possessions to be considered as being good. It might be that, you know, you're in a defensive role and you shut someone down. So, yeah, that was very flattering, but um, I think all in perspective. For individual honours that year, you were named in the AFL Women's All-Australian Team. And the AFL Players Association, your peers, voted you the most valuable player for season 2018. Backing off into your debut year, being the second person to win that award, coming off the back of Erin Phillips' great 2017, how did it feel to be recognised by your peers in that way? I was so surprised. I was really, um, really surprised. And it's such a... um, it obviously is such an amazing honour to be voted by your peers as um, the player's player. So I was really um, stoked and and amazed and happy and yeah, yeah, that was amazing. I, yeah, it was great. For the Gabrielle Tanner Award for the club best and fairest, you'd end up actually being the runner-up, second to <coughs> teammate Alicia Eva. How did it feel to be pipped by a Victorian? Oh, it's the huge, isn't it? Although, <laughs> actually, not so much over the last few years, is, is it? But, um, um, yeah, Alicia really deserved it. She, um, as part of a team member, you know, and um, part of the GWS club, she brings, like, huge amounts of footy IQ to the girls and, not only does she play well and consistently, um, you know, she really um, mentors a lot of the players. So, yeah, she'll she, hopefully she'll be around the club for a long time, and um, she'll she'll be very much a part of um, their future success. So, yeah, so not so it's okay. Let's have a look at your 2019 season. Uh, According to the stats, you averaged 7.7 kicks per game, 4.9 handballs, so for average disposals of 12.6 per game. Averaged just under a mark a game and averaged three tackles a game. How do you rate, personally, your season 2019 compared against season 2018? Yeah, obviously it was um, not as good. Um... Well, I guess, yeah, it definitely wasn't as good. I didn't feel like I um, played as well, definitely. Um, I think I felt like, you know, I often, I feel like I, I feel like I still contribute um, in terms of, um, 
in our midfield structures, contributing to, um, you know, it working as a unit. Um, you know, and we had a different midfield. We had obviously Beck Beeson and um, Elise Parker, who are ball magnets, and um, it was great to see them get in and under and do so well. So, um, yeah, and I found it, um, you know, I found that 2019 season was quite difficult um, with some juggling that we had to do. Chrissy and Buzz were in Sydney for that season, and um, it was a real test to juggle all of our commitments, including work commitments, etc. So, um, you know, and it's interesting because um, it probably played out in terms of my performance a little bit. Um, but that is life and my family and Buzz are my, and in fact my work are my priority. Um, yeah, so, so, so that's okay. If we're to look at the sides that you were playing in uh, 2019 comparing against 2018, you're missing players such as Phoebe McWilliams and Maddie Boyd, both going to Geelong. Uh, Emma Swanson, of uh, um, Renee Forth, I should say, uh, went uh, from the Giants across to the Adelaide Crows. Of course, Swanson now going to the Eagles for the next season. Uh, losing some of those quality players like Forth in the midfield and some key targets up forward, did you find that all of a sudden that you were starting to pick up a, a better quality player that perhaps maybe in 2018 you got under the radar a little bit and you got that respect in 2019 and possibly the harder tag? It might have started out like that, um, definitely. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, and then obviously they, um, teams had to start, um, you know, looking more towards Beck and um, Elise. But, yeah, I think our team structure, yeah, I think our forward line probably um, lacked a few key targets, definitely. Um and probably a bit of we had obviously a very in terms of footy IQ or not IQ but footy experience. Um, yeah, I think um, we uh, that was probably our hardest area, the forward line. So, so yeah, I think um, hopefully going into next season, um, the girls, you know, they're in their um, their winter season at the moment, and hopefully they're developing and developing a really strong bond and um, and some cohesion, which will hopefully take them into the next season. At what point of the season did you sit down and consider retirement? What was going through your head at that moment, particularly when you finally came to peace of it's time to hang up the boots, at least playing at the national level? Yeah, I think it's like at my age, every season, you would consider that it's potentially your last for sure. Um, and, uh, you know, I think probably even before, you know, I'm 37, we're, we're looking to having another baby. Um, and, yeah, so it pretty well was always on the radar for sure. But certainly um, with how difficult it was to, to juggle everything and, um, and yeah, to juggle everything, you know, pretty early on I knew – that wasn't something that we, we could sustain as a family and I couldn't sustain it as a an athlete. It's just, the the AFL competitions it's it's becoming very athletic. It's just moving too fast. You can't sort of be half in. You have to be in it and you have to train a hundred percent. Um 
and there's lots of off-field stuff and out-of-training stuff that you have to do as well. So, um, you know, I just knew that I just couldn't give it that sort of commitment. The girls sent you out in style uh, in Canberra with a five-goal win over the Geelong Cats. You're hoisted on the shoulders to uh, to salute you coming off the ground. What What's the emotions like in the rooms knowing that was it, it's all over? Um, I certainly felt ready. Like I certainly knew that it was the right decision. And, uh, yeah, I felt just really – I really felt really grateful have had the experience. I think I've said it before. Um, I remember in the last five minutes just kind of um, taking in um, the crowd and the, the atmosphere and just kind of just being able to take it in. And, yeah, um, but certainly I felt like it was the right time, which is I've been very fortunate to have, have that because, you know, not, not a lot of AFL players necessarily get to choose when they finish. There wasn't a friendly elbow on the ribs, was there, from fellow veterans Tanya Hetherington and Cora Stoughton to say, come on, you're still young enough. <laughs> um, a few people have said, surely you can be up in the forward line. But, um, yeah, you know, um, no, I think they, you know, we, we're pretty close um, with Tanny and with Cora, and I think they knew that um, it was that time for me. So it's really great to see them holding on the vets, you know, holding up the vets um, uh, tradition. So, yeah. One thing I just want to step back to just for a moment, because we, we did glance over it and we really should come back to it, was, uh, as we said, you played with Glenelg in the first year of the Sanford Women's Competition. But you would end up playing uh, with South Adelaide, uh, particularly towards the latter half of the 2018 Sanford Women's Competition, under your partner Chrissy, who was coaching the side. What was it like to win that premiership with South Adelaide, albeit it was the second year of that competition and South Adelaide's first year in it. But I remember hearing uh, reports uh, from those in South Australia, particularly South Adelaide supporters, at least for their men's side, they hadn't seen a, their club win a premiership since the 60s. Mm, yeah, the club the club um, has been amazing. They've really taken on board the women's comp and, and not only that, but the supporter base has really um, supported the women. Um, so every, everyone was a buzz. I think there were a few reasons um, South Adelaide and Chrissy put up, put together a, an amazing program for the girls. Um, it was, you know, it was it was really really um, high level, and and the girls really um, committed to the program. So. It was great with that level of commitment to get that reward, and um, and it was great also that a lot of the the long time supporters and fans of South Adelaide were so excited to um, to finally win a grand final after so many years. Even though it was the girls, it was still to, in you know as a diehard fan, it's still a, a flag. And again, this season to get another flag. Um, yeah, I think, you know, it is a, a club. So now it is a men's and women's club. And um, and I think it's great because it kind of um, also helps with the bar for the, for the guys as well. 
So looking forward, you mentioned yourself and Chrissy would like to add to the family. What's in the near future for Courtney Gum? Of course, you've got your business kinetic balance, which you're looking after. Is there a chance you may pull on the boots again at community level or at master's level? Because you qualify for that. It's uh, it's over 35s, even with the master's carnivals in uh, October. Or you're looking now to possibly make the switch and maybe joining Chrissy on the uh, coaching side of the fence. Yeah. Um Obviously, we're looking to, fam- uh, to um, make family bigger, so we'll see what happens um, in that space. Um, and then currently I'm just playing community-level netball, actually, um, which has been very hard on my knees. And I, I feel like I'm a, I don't think I'll play footy again. I feel pretty content with not playing footy. And in terms of coaching, um, I would potentially um, – Help clubs in a you know pretty casual or in the informal way, and potentially some skill development or um, you know some help. But with the physio clinic and the family, uh, you know, I, I, that, I love that. I love my physio clinic. I love you know um, spending time with Buzz and Chrissy. You know, we've always had lots and lots of commitments around sport, so it's kind of nice just to um, yeah to not have them for a little bit. Just three more questions before we let you go. Um, looking back at your career, that includes national level, state league, community, national carnivals, what is possibly your most fondest memory that you'll take out of the game? I have very fond memories of uh, GWS. Um, oh, there's just so many. Like um, My footy career obviously is many different um, areas to it. I really, like I think about, you mentioned Tani and Cora and, you know, I spoke to Cora earlier in the week just to check in on how she's going after a injury. Um, and, you know, there, I just have so many good memories of GWS. I think because also being part of a semi-elite level football team where I finally felt like I was in a space where I was with like-minded people. So I only just I had a chat on the weekend to a football club, and at community level, I was almost always a bit over competitive, um, particularly even in like Sydney AFL. Um, you know, I was out there competing, you know, to be, <laughs> you know, the, you know, as good as I can, and you know, a lot of people might have been more there to say meet friends or whatever so it was great to be supported in an environment um, to kind of be the best athlete that you could be um, so that and being in with like sound of people was just an amazing memory but then I think back to the stingrays and um, you know back in um, Sydney Sydney AFL back in 2009 and 10 and I met I've met so many good friends through that period of my life just through footy so um yeah yeah i've got heaps of fond memories through football which is which is great we talked earlier as our first question about uh growing up with a very competitive family and your brothers uh, as well playing footy do you hang it over them that they only played state league level and you played national level I did. A few times I did. You know, <laughs> they were obviously very committed to their footy and very, um, you know. So I, I think part of it is a joke, but part of it's kind of 
they probably would have liked that opportunity. So I don't rub it in too hard. Um, but they've been so super supportive. Regardless of that, you know, um, in their own right, they've been super supportive of me in the AFL. Um, you know, they've come and watched games and they'll give me feedback and, um, yeah, so it, it's, it's great actually because, um, it's for my nana and pa, for example, who've always followed our sport and they're in their late 80s now. They've still had something to follow. And my nana's just given me, a, my auntie made a book of all my football achievements, all these random photos that are all put together. So, you know, it's something, I guess, nice for the family and something for them, everyone to be, be proud of. I hope that doesn't sound boastful, but it, it's been a really nice experience in terms of, um, you know, my for my family as well. So, And finally, our last question, what does it mean for you when you look at that book or an old newspaper article or even type your name into Google and you see that magic line, Courtney Gum, AFLW footballer? Yeah. I Again, um, I feel very grateful to have had the opportunity because I know there are lots and lots of people um, you know, even people that I've played with, like I just was chatting to Heather Noblet, who I played for always at in Sydney AFL. Um, I was talking to her during the week, and she's 44 or 45 now, and she probably could have made it in the AFLW, um, but she was just that little bit old. And so I feel really, really grateful and really, really proud um, to have taken the opportunities as they came up, you know, because I guess um, – I think I'm so glad that um, I decided to give it a crack and, and not just me, Chrissy as well, because it's, it, you know, my age with my commitments, it's not just an I, it's, um, you know, how this can affect our family. So I feel, yeah, really glad that, you know, we, we took that road. Well, Courtney, thanks once again for joining us here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN 927's digital radio channel, Carnival. You've been very generous with your time. Thank you again. And, all the very best for the future. Great. Thanks, Peter. Thanks for all your support for the women's AFL. And once again, we thank Courtney for being very generous with her time. It's time to turn our focus now here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN 927's digital radio channel Carnival to the international women's footy scene. We're catching up at a moment with Shannon Power from the AFL London Women's League and Brian Barish from the US AFL. But a quick score check from the AFL Ontario competition in Canada. Round two was played over the weekend where the Central Blues defeated the Ottawa Swans by one goal and the Edipico Kangaroos 7 Eight at home went down to the Hamilton Wildcats 9-9-63 uh, lining up for round three this Saturday at 2pm Otter Swans playing host to the Etipico Kangaroos and at 4pm on Saturday Central Blues versus the Hamilton Wildcats over in Germany with the AFL Germany women's competition round two was played on the weekend where the Hamburg Dockers 19-16-130 thrashed the Southern Tigeroos two straight 12. And joining us on the line now here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN 927's digital radio channel Carnival, it's Shannon Power from AFL London. Shannon, how are you? I'm very well, Peter. Thanks for having me back on this week. Great to have you on. And of course, as we uh, highlighted last week, there was going to be a midweek game for the first time in the AFL London Women's League and it was played between Wandsworth and the West London Wildcats. 
Yes, it was uh, a pretty interesting game, and I think the Wandsworth Demons have cemented themselves as the absolute front runners this season. They smashed the Wildcats fifty-eight to six, and have just like careered ahead on the ladder, and, and they're sitting quite high up there on, on twelve points far ahead, especially on percentage, are at 1,926. The second team, the Lions, are on 413. So the Demons are well and truly ahead in the 2019 season for the ladies' premiership division. Good luck, anyone that can try and uh, chase them down. And for the Wildcats, they actually had to back up again on the Saturday. Yeah, they absolutely did. Poor girls. And it was um, what was considered an absolutely sweltering day in London. It hit a top of 27, which, trust me, was very warm for, for this city. And the poor girls, um, they did really well playing out there at 2.30 uh, afternoon in the sun. Uh, they gave it their best. They went up against the South East London Giants, who just came out firing. They really had a point to prove on Saturday after a couple of heavy losses to the Lions. So we knew the game would be close and it would be a really great contest. Um, they wanted to get ahead early with the Wildcats, but once the Giants scored that first goal, they kept their position in their half for most of their game. So um, the Wildcats are probably a little bit too tired to have to back it up only a few days later and in that heat. Um, but Jenny Green scored two goals for the Giants, and uh, Alexandra Umbers again was best on ground for the Giants, along with Susie Carr and Paula Keatley. For the Wildcats, Sophie Caffey, Rihanna Callahan, and Fiona Keenan were probably best on ground uh, for the Wildcats there. So let's have a look ahead to the round of football coming up this weekend in both the Women's Premiership and the Women's Conference Division. Uh, All games being played on Saturday the 8th of June. Let's start in the Premiership. Uh, The West London Wildcats, they're coming up against the North London Lions at Dukes Meadow. Yes, it should be an interesting game. The Wildcats have like had a pretty busy week, so who knows how they're recovering from that. And they're coming off a few losses, so they'll be looking for their second win, and that will cement their, their place in the top four there. The Lions had a bye last week and are undefeated, so um, I think you know history sort of suggests that perhaps the Lions might get up. If they come out with strength of team, like they did against the Giants uh, in both of their games so far this season, they should come out winners. Um, but it's at Duke Meadows, which is the Wildcats' home game, and they do play a bit better out there. So anything really is possible in that game. Then we head out to Peckham Rye, where the South East London Giants play host to the Wimbledon Hawks. That's right. So it's not a home game for the Giants, um, and they're really feeling very confident after that win on Saturday. So they're looking um, to, to back that up with their second win of the season. The Hawks are looking for their first win, so I'm sure they'll come out fighting. Both teams, in terms, I guess, Skills are probably at a similar level, so we can expect a, a pretty close game between those two teams. Across to the AFL London Women's Conference, uh, the Clapham Demons versus the West London Wildcats at Clapham Common. Yeah, so both of the teams have struggled in the conference this year, so it might be interesting to see how they go. I think the Demons, though, might come out on top just because of having that home ground advantage at Clapham Common. And at the opposite end of the table, it's the Putney Magpies versus the London Swans at Motspur Park. Yeah, so this is what we're calling the match of the round in the women's leagues in both of them. Um, it's a top-of-the-table clash, and um, both teams have had pretty convincing wins recently. So it's going to be like a relatively close game, I think, but the Swans have been quite consistent. Um, so continuing on their, on their good form from last season, and it might prove just a little bit too strong for the Magpies. Well, Shannon, thank you very much for joining us here at RSCN Carnival. And we look forward to catching up with you next week when we review another round of the AFL London Women's League. All right. Thanks so much. We'll chat then.
And joining us on the line now here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN 927's digital radio channel Carnival, all the way from the United States, is the USAFL media manager and Brian Barish. Brian, how are you? G'day, Peter. Great to be talking footy with you again. A couple of tournaments uh, held over the weekend. Let's first of all actually go north of the border. You had some USAFL teams, of course, uh, participating in the tournament up there in Montreal. Yeah, the annual AFL Quebec Women's Tournament, uh, which uh, kind of a misnomer this year because usually uh, it's Montreal hosting the New York Magpies and a couple of other uh, Canadian and American teams. However, this year uh, it ended up only being one four-quarter game as the Angels took on the New York Magpies, which had the assistance of a couple of other players uh, from Boston and from Philadelphia as well. Leslie Gartner from the Philadelphia Hawks made the trip up. But uh, the New York Magpies, who had only won the cup once in its tournament format, which you have to go all the way back to 2015 when that happened, uh, won the tournament, won the day again as they defeated the Montreal Angels by 47 points, or check that by 46 points. New York 7 12 54 over Montreal 1 2 8. The Angels now 0 2 on the season, uh, having lost the uh, Ottawa game, and then the New York Magpies now uh, are one and two, and this was the first game of the season, Peter, where they had really their full complement of talent. Uh, Natalie Wolf, who was in Australia for the first two games of the season, returning, uh, as well as uh, Jess Taylor, one of their Australian players, and also Kim Hemingway flying cross-country. Of course, she's based in Los Angeles, playing for the first time. Uh, some impressive uh, outings from their newcomers and one of them, Kylie Johnson, who is really making a name for herself as a deadly forward in this New York side. And then, of course, another veteran who was a part of the team, Taylor Davidson, shoring up the defense. Uh, great hit out by this New York Magpie side. And uh, Christina Licata will be very happy uh, as they head into the Eastern Regionals in, uh, in about a week and a half's time. Yeah, some encouraging signs there for the Magpies, who had been struggling over the last couple of seasons to get any silverware, so they'll be very happy with that win up there in Montreal. Let's go down south to Texas for the first ever Texas Cup for women. Yeah, uh, the Texas Cup for many years has been a three-legged carnival between the Dallas, now the Dallas Dingoes, the Austin Crows, and the Houston Lone Stars. And uh, there had been... Uh, efforts over the last two years with the uh, advent of the Texas Heat to uh, have a series for the women being played and for the first time uh, a full-on game, or at least a a 2 by 20 minute game uh, took place as part of it. The Dallas Dingoes, the homestanding Dallas Dingoes going down to the Houston Lone Stars by 40 points. Dallas 1-1-7 defeated by Houston 7-5-47. That's not a real big surprise considering the fact that Houston has their players developed just a little bit more over the course of the last couple of seasons. A couple of the participating players, the longtime veteran Beth Nolenberger, who one of the last vestiges of the Orange County bombshells, the first uh, women's established women's team in the USA back in 2003, as well as a, a newcomer in Haley Rebar, who had a great rookie season, didn't get a chance to play at nationals at the end last year, but uh, really, really encouraging signs from this up-and-coming up Dallas side as well, which is made up of rugby players and Gaelic converts. Uh, so uh, this is a real, real interesting. It's going to be really great to see how this grows over the next two dates uh, in Houston and in uh, Austin as well. 
Now, I want to have a look ahead to what's coming up on the weekend of Saturday, June 15th. So that's a week and a half away. Two tournaments on. Before we look at the main event, uh, happening up in the northwest in uh, Tacoma, Washington, is the first ever Cascadia tournament. On the women's side, uh, it's three Division One teams facing off. Yeah, we've got the uh, hometown Seattle Grizzlies welcoming in the Portland Sockeyes and the San Francisco Iron Maidens. And if you followed the USAFL women's division over the last couple of years, you know that the West Coast really, uh, you know, to use a term, has been the best coast. Uh, all of these teams, the strongest teams, have come out of the West Coast, especially when Denver was a part of it before moving over to the Central. Uh, Seattle is well-seasoned. They have a number of games under their belt, having played against the Vancouver Vixens and having uh, won that tight game, that tight two-point game against the combo of Vancouver and the Edmonton Emus just a couple of weeks ago in Tacoma, in point of fact. Uh, it'll be interesting to see the early season form of the Iron Maidens. They have a number of, of uh, young players that and players that have been good, but really on kind of the, the, the back, uh, the second tier, if you will, uh, behind the more experienced veterans, players, uh, more high-profile players like Jess Estrada, Brett Brower, Sarah Maggione. Uh, so the fact that they have eight players that aren't uh, those three going to the training squad for the USA Freedom uh, really shows the amount of depth that they have. It'll be great to see Portland's first real hit out of the season as well. Of course, Jess Blecker playing uh, for Collingwood at the moment and uh, Olivia Artez, another Another player who has uh, really uh, come on in her second or third season playing over in Cork. But there is a, a lot of talent on this Portland side, uh, led by uh, Brandy Machado, a tall player who will be heading to Racine for the Freedom Camp. Lauren Williams is another one as well. Heather Serpico, the, the longtime veteran. Uh, Simone Shepard, the seasoned veteran, who is uh, still one of the best players across all divisions, in my opinion. So, uh, and, and, and again, against uh, with Seattle, the defending Division One runners-up, uh, players like Tegan Hamilton, Amanda Bow, and, and so on, Marion Dickinson, another one. I think it's going to be a great early season test for all three teams. And who knows, we might it'll be three teams that we might even see in the mix in terms of the national championships when we get to Sarasota. And of course, the main event uh, on Saturday, June 15th, is over in Raleigh, North Carolina. Yeah, it's the first leg of the uh, 2019 USAFL uh, Regional Championship Series hosted by the North Carolina Tigers. This is actually a really exciting, not just on the women's side, but on the men's side as well. It'll be the largest representation of clubs. We have nine teams, nine clubs represented from uh, Boston all the way down to Jacksonville, Florida. But on the women's side, it's about the same story. We've got three teams right now, and the official combination and the official fixture will be announced this weekend uh, once numbers have been confirmed, uh, considering the fact that it's, uh, you know, once we get closer to the tournament, the numbers can change. But as of right now, the New York Magpies will be playing as a standalone side. The second team will see the Boston, or rather the Baltimore Dockers and the D.C. Eagles together. And then the third team will at the very least have the Columbus Cats, the Philadelphia Lady Hawks, 
and the Atlanta Cougaburras. Now, the Nashville Kangaroos will be sending five, maybe six players as well. Where that will fit in, we don't know yet. That still has to be confirmed. And, of course, all of this can change over the next week. But it should be probably the most talented uh, Eastern regionals that we've seen will be the most competitive. And that's saying a lot considering how competitive last year was. Of course, Baltimore having played – Baltimore and Washington having played with Boston last year, taking out the title over – over mighty New York, still in the back of everybody's minds. And uh, I think that shows, even with New York uh, showing as well as they did this past weekend against Montreal, that this tournament is wide open. The Magpies will have a lot to prove. And uh, with showing how well they played at full strength with uh, with uh, Wolf and Taylor and, and Hemingway, that uh, they are the favorites in this. But it's still great to see the development of footy on the East Coast, which for a long time had been lacking. And two quick items to check in with before we let you go. Uh, first of all, we've been following Danielle Marshall here in Melbourne. Of course, uh, she debuted last year for the Arizona Hawks and won the Paul Roos medal in uh, the women's division two. She ended up playing three games with the Western Bulldogs in the VFL women's competition. Uh, I believe now she's actually on the plane heading back home to the United States. In her time here, five goals, placing her as of the moment, a tied fourth on the VFLW goal kickers list and named in the best for her third game, and that was against Geelong. And it's just been released by the VFL that she has made the VFLW team of the week for round four, named on the half forward flank. That's amazing, uh, considering how fast she's come in so little time. Remember that uh, she only started playing a little more than a year ago, even though she had made plans to keep doing it or or to start doing it at the end of 2017. The hope is is that uh, this little sortie over to Australia will see will will bear fruit in some respect the bulldogs now have her in the back of her mind i've heard nothing but good things from uh, from the organization some of the people there that i've talked to have been involved not only with the bulldogs but also with the western spurs uh so the hope is is that she'll have a, a future in aflw and that when the bulldogs go to draft or even before that as this w as this flw season rolls on that either she or maybe an or either the Bulldogs or another club uh, can pick her up and maybe bring her over on on a longer basis. And also, we want to take a step back to the past for just a moment because we have released our top 10 most memorable matches on the WARFradio.com website as we look forward to our 200th match broadcast uh, this weekend. And coming in at number five on the list, you actually provided commentary for this game as well. It was the uh, Denver Lady Bulldogs versus San Francisco Iron Maidens match of 2016 at the USAFL Nationals in Florida. Yeah, you and I called that on a on a windy day in Sarasota, Florida, windy and hot, uh, and and I guess it was a metaphor for the winds of change that came that swept across the USAFL women's division with the uh, Denver Lady Bulldogs, the six-time national champions, going down to the to the maidens, and and I remember being really excited about that game, not necessarily because you know one team won and another lost, but having followed the women's game since about 2008, which was my first season in the USAFL, uh, there was a a real kind of aura about Denver that nobody can beat them. And as time went on, it was like, wow, this is actually going to happen. And uh, it really was a resounding win, even as we look back at it three years later, how much it meant 
towards uh, how much it really meant towards the growth of the game here in the USA. And now, of course, San Francisco is what Denver was a couple of years ago. And, and I'll tell you what, they look poised to win their fourth title. But that game of football, Pete, despite the fact that it was low scoring, despite the fact that the, that it was a, a real arm wrestle of the highest variety, is still the best game of USAFL football that I've ever seen. And uh, I've, I'm now coming up on the double century mark myself. Um, really quickly before we go, I just want to take a moment, if I could, and, and thank you and the rest of the WARF crew for all of the hard work that you guys have done over the last five years. Promoting football overseas is a very difficult task, and I know that you guys do a lot of work to promote the game in Australia, which which you know is, is a challenge in and of itself. But trying to grow a sport overseas where it, it, there's a lot of obstacles uh, is a very difficult task, and we get a lot of help from you guys just by mentioning the competitions and by doing what we're doing now and just talking about it every week or every couple of weeks. And on a personal level, it's been great to be involved and great to have the opportunity to call matches with uh, downright professional people such as yourself, Matthew Cox, Lucy Watkin, not only here in the U.S., but also when I visited Australia a couple of years ago. And for somebody who didn't grow up with the game but always wanted to be a sportscaster, every time I get to uh, call a game, uh, I, my eight-year-old self cheers. So uh, my thanks to you and to everybody else, and, and uh, congratulations on bringing up a well-deserved double century. Uh, you're very kind with your words there, Brian. Thank you very much. And, and thank you again for your report this week. And we look forward to catching up with you in a couple of weeks' time as we look back at the Cascadia Tournament and the Eastern Regionals. I'll be burnt to a crisp by then under the North Carolina sun, but I'll be here. Thanks, Pete. Don't go anywhere. We've got more Women's Australian Rules football on RSN 927's digital radio channel Carnival coming up in just a moment. We are the Australian Literacy and Numeracy Foundation, striving to empower our most marginalised communities through literacy and education. Literacy is having a voice. Literacy is opportunity. Literacy is dreaming big. Literacy is freedom. Today, you can help end inequality and give every child access to our life-changing and proven literacy programs. Your support is vital. Donate now at alnf.org. Time for our State Leagues wrap. Let's quickly check in with the scores in the UNOSW Canberra First Grade Women's Competition. Round 6 played over the weekend. We're on Friday night. The East Lake Demons 6-5-41 defeated the Balcona Magpies 4-3-27. On Saturday afternoon, the Tuggeranong Hawks won straight 6, went down to the Ainsley Tricolors 6-13-49. Whilst on Sunday afternoon, the Gungarland Jets couldn't get on the scoreboard against the Quimbian Tigers, who racked up 31-19-205. A competition having the bye for the long week. Weekend. Now joining us on the line here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN 927's Digital Radio Channel Carnival. It's great to have on the line from Sydney our regular reporter and Lauren Hodgson. Lauren, how are you? Yeah, well, thanks, Peter. How are you? Always feeling fantastic despite the freezing cold weather here in Melbourne. At least we know that winter has hit us and we're hitting the middle of the AFL Sydney Women's Premier Division season and what an intriguing battle to open up round eight. Uh, the Southern Power, 5-4-34, knocking off the Inner West Magpies, 4-6-30. Yes, that was uh, the closest game of the round, Peter. Um, well, probably no surprises there. A um, little bit closer than I thought it was going to be. But, yeah, look, only four points in it. And, look, I think the Magpies would be um, ruining 
some missed chances. They kicked four six. They had ten scoring shots to Powers five four. Um, but yeah, ended up going down by four points. So had they kicked accurately, um, you know, the result could have been flipped. Uh, but I said, look, it was close contest um, right throughout the day. Um, once Powell got in front, they were were never heated. But the margin was never more than sort of nine points. They're always very close. Um, you know, Lawson kicked a couple for the Magpies, and uh, and Ash McClure was strong up forward for the Power, kicking three. And uh, as I said, just close. Close contest right throughout, which is, uh, you know, what we want to see, close competitive games. Macquarie University, 10-16-76, and a dominant performance over Newtown Breakaways, who didn't get on the scoreboard. Yeah, look, this game couldn't have been any more different, uh, really, um, from from Power and, and the Magpies. Um, University, uh, MacUni just continued their dominant season um, as spoken about, you know, most weeks. Obviously, the breakaways aren't having a good run of it at the moment. Uh, look, MacUni started off strongly, kicking uh, 4-2 in the in the first. And, um, look, they just powered on throughout the day. Um, Bryden's continuing her strong form, kicking three goals. And uh, Freeman and, and Fruger kicked in with two as well, whilst um, Russell, Corkiano and Keeley kicked one. So one thing the Warriors have shown when they kick the big scores um you know, they've, they've generally got a good spread of goal kickers as well. So um, they're uh, hard to uh, tie down in the forward line because if, um, you know, their their full forward doesn't get you, their, their centre-half forward or their flanks will get you. So they're um, a very good side all across the park, Peter. The Sydney Uni Bombers, 5-4-34. 15-point winners over the UTS Bats, 3-1-19. Yeah, look, this was a much closer game that I um, had expected, which is really pleasing uh, to see from the bat, um, you know, Uni, uh, well, sorry, UTS actually got the jump on the on the Bombers in the first quarter, and um, but yeah, look, after half time, um, the Bombers turned things around and and they kicked um, all five of their goals in the third quarter, actually. So, a uh, bit of a funny game there with the scoreline. I said um, the Bombers only getting two points in the first half. Kicking and then kicking all five of their goals in the third. Um, so yeah, bit of a bit of an odd game there, Peter. But look, the Bombers would be happy to to claim the four points, and uh, you know, uh, four of their goals went to uh, Laven. So um, she certainly had a great day up forward for the Bombers. And finally, the East Coast Eagles and an inaccurate eight twenty one sixty nine defeating the UNSW Eastern Suburbs Bulldogs two two fourteen. Yeah, well, normally you'd say a 55-point win is a um, good result, but 8.21, and look, it could have been uh, so much more. Um, you know, we spoke about uh, inaccurate kicking for West, um, changing the game for them. Um, look, obviously, the Eagles won, so they'd be happy with that, but uh, look, percentage-wise, they, they could have got a massive boost. Um, look, the Bulldogs have, have had a bit of an indifferent season. Um, I thought this game would have been a, a lot closer. Um but look, pleasing for the Eagles, um, whilst McGartland was, was up there amongst the goal kickers again with two, uh, Mazzano kicked three of uh, her own as well. So, um, you know, pleasing to see some uh, different players getting up there amongst the goals for the Eagles. Now, there's no football this weekend due to the Queen's birthday long weekend. So, Lauren, we look forward to catching up with you next week when we preview round nine of the AFL Sydney Women's Premier Division. Yeah, looking forward to it, Peter, and uh, enjoy the 
long weekend in sunny Melbourne. Turning our attention now to the Tasmanian State League women's competition. Round six played over the weekend on Friday night. Glenorchy 9-6-60 defeated Clarence 7-2-44. On the Sunday, the Tigers 11-18-84 defeated Lauderdale one straight six, while Launceston 7-12-54 defeated North Launceston one straight six. The competition having the bye for the long weekend coming up. And joining us on the line now here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival to talk about the QAFLW competition. Round seven has just passed and on the line from AFL Queensland, it's Ant Wingard. Ant, how are you? I'm very well, thank you, Peter. How are you? Not too bad at all, but I'm more than happy to see the QAFLW back after it took a break for a week for the Queensland Winter Series. And what a way to come back. First of all, Cooperu on the winner's board with a nice win over Wilston Grange. Yeah, Oh, it was good, and I know we kind of touched on it um, before their bye um, with their win over Aspley, but their season really has kind of been reinvigorated over their last two games, and um, especially in the grand final, um, obviously against Wilson Grange on the weekend, they were they were really really good, and it was nice to see them. I feel like they had kind of a two goal three, uh, a two three goal lead throughout most of the game, and they kind of held that, but. The game really felt a lot closer than that, and it was a credit to Cooper. I thought that we're kind of able to to just weather the storm a bit, um, hold firm, and kick away a little bit in the second half, and and notch their third win of the year. So yeah, obviously a good result for Cooper, and probably a team that many expected to do really well this year. So it's nice to kind of see them live up to a bit of the hype because you know I feel like they're one of the teams. When you look at everyone's lists on paper that probably deserve to be there at the end of the season. So, you know, a win like that certainly helps, uh, you know, go a long way to, to kind of achieving that. Uh, Jess Wichner floating forward for three goals and Emma Zilke chipping in with two. Yeah, obviously names that uh, probably most people are, are familiar with now. And it's quite, quite interesting because both players um, have kind of been spending a fair bit of time in the defensive half. So, um, obviously, Jesse Wardlaw uh, didn't play in the game, so I think that allowed Wush to move back inside 50 and Zilk to kind of moved a bit forward from the defensive 50, obviously, but kind of split her time between the midfield and, and the forward line was able to bump up with two. Um, but probably, the, I think the, the most probably notice, no, notable sorry, AFLW name there was Jade Ellinger, who, in my opinion, was best on ground. She's just superb. Obviously, Bob Ford kicked the goal and um, she's really kind of made a niche as an outside mid-winger for Cooper this year and it was just another great performance from her. Turning our attention to Leishon Park, not necessarily a surprise result because we thought an upset could happen, but perhaps a surprise margin. Yoronga South Brisbane, 12-9-81 over Bond University, just 2-3-15. Yeah, you are right because, like, I think many people, and us especially, obviously, when we talk, Bond University are... And they've kind of been the form team of the competition and they almost look unbeatable in, in many ways. And then Yurong obviously got got the, the win over over Bond in round one, but that was by the kind of skin of their teeth, a late-minute goal to Demi Leach uh, got them over the line then. But the result on the weekend was probably the most surprising uh, of the season so far, especially when you take into account uh, the margin. And it really, I don't know... I think the midfield for Yeronga really set the tone. Girls like Emily Bates, who just was superb and 
Jordan Zench had had another strong game. Um, and obviously the, the Devils forward line, you know, has to be firing when you kick 12 goals for the day. But when you look at the goal kickers, Jade Ransfield has three. Demi Leach in her first game back, she kicked two. Um, their tools really played well. And then obviously Zimmy Farquhar and in her QAFL debut, bobs up with four goals, which is oh, probably, you know, many people probably don't expect on debut, but boy, it was a, it was a great game from her. Certainly a game worthy to remember and putting in the scrapbook. Let's move ahead to the game that was played at Exum Oval. Calling Gattatweed 10-8-68, defeating Apsley, just the two straight goals. Yeah, this this game was, I don't know, it was kind of up for the taking because both teams kind of entered the contest in a bit of a slump in form. Obviously, Apsley has had their struggles um, kind of finding their footing in the QAFLW this season. And Cool and Gattat started off really strong and, Lost the last two games before the bye. So, obviously, a, a good result for, for Cool and Gatto, who get their name back on the winners list and kind of consolidate their spot in the top four. Um, yeah, like a bit like Yeronga, the, the tools for Cool and Gatto, um, really stood tall. Sandra Carter with three, um, she's their leading goal kicker this year. And um, I think her ability to work up the ground a bit, get some um, hit up leads outside. The forward 50 really helped them in the win. And obviously, Bree McFarlane, who played her first uh, state league game back, obviously played uh, the Winter Series game uh, during the bye. But to see her come back and kind of have an immediate impact for the for the Bluebirds was also a nice touch, I thought, for the team. For Indy Sleep, that's her second best on ground in a row. I know. It's, it's quite remarkable. Um, she's kind of slotted in um, to Cooley. Uh, this season, she she played for the club a few years ago, but then spent a few years um, kind of in different leagues, played NTFL women's with Southern Districts for a bit and returned home and really just picked off, uh, picked up where she left off. And um, especially with Jordan Memory going down to, to the VFLW, her and Maddie Roberts have kind of uh, made a strong tandem in, in those couple of games that she's played thus far. And obviously her form over the last two weeks is would probably rival anyone in the competition um, over that fortnight. So I think Cool and Gatta, having lost memory, they they probably won't rue the loss too much when you had a girl like uh, Sleaf back into the lineup. Turning our attention to the final game of the round, uh, the UQ Red Lions 12 6 78 defeated Maruchidor 4 2 25. Now, I know when we spoke uh, last week, I wasn't really sure how this game would go, and I think I did tip Maruchidor, but um, it was nice for, for UQ to, you know, get another win. They move up uh, into the top four. And obviously, it's a big win over Maritrial, but it was actually the, the Red Lions' first game uh, back at St. Lucia at the uni campus. Um, for the first time in probably over a year, they've had some trouble with lighting and obviously getting the grounds uh, up and running. So they've been a bit, a, a bit nomadic um, in where they've had to kind of play their games and, they return home and really um, kind of concrete themselves in that finals bracket with a strong win. So for the club, a massive re- result for them. And um, yeah, it, it's girls like Megan Hunt, who is surprisingly the leading goal kicker. She kicked four against the Ruse and uh, Nat Grider, who a bit like Jade Ellinger um, has kind of taken, taken an outside mid winger role uh, under a, as her own this season and 
Um, she was best on for mine against Maruchador and you know, it, it is those girls that kind of got them over the line and as I said, just a, a really good result for UQ to kind of christen their new venue. And we should point out that Maruchador actually led by three points at quarter time before uh, the Red Lions piled on six goals straight. Yeah, so it, it was kind of a surprising blowout in the end almost, but certainly in those kind of first quarter, quarter and a half of it really did seem like the game could go either way. UQ obviously had the more scoring shots uh, in the first term, but couldn't really capitalise on their opportunities and then to kind of build on that and, and run away. Obviously, just a really good result for them. Let's look ahead to next week and your tips for round eight in the QAFLW competition. 2.45pm at Leishon Park. The Yoronga South Brisbane Devils play host to Coolangatta Tweed. Yeah, this will be another kind of important uh Game, I think probably more so for Cool and Gatta, who um, started off the season so well, dropped a few games, and like we said, got back on the winners list against Aspley. But they face another massive challenge in uh, Yoronga, who I don't, I, I've kind of liked them uh, so far this year. There was a few games that they dropped, um, kind of in that middle middle portion, and then um, to respond against Bond University, it's definitely a, probably a tough game to pick, and I think just. Yoronga and what they're able to do if they are um, kind of capable of putting those slow starts that they've been able to um, or been prone to, to happening throughout the opening stretch of the season. If they can kind of rectify that, I think they should be good stead for another solid win against Coolangatta. 3.45pm on University at home. Look to get back on the winner's board when they play host to Apsley. I think Bond University... Um, just given their talent, they probably should get on the line. I'm kind of interested to see how Aspley um, will fare in the contest. Obviously, they have struggled um, a little bit, especially you know moving inside 50 and getting getting on the scoreboard. But they improved against Coolangatta. Hopefully, that continues against Bond University, who arguably a probably tougher competition, um, especially defensively than Coolangatta. So. Um, hopefully it is a tight contest, but I, I think Bond University should probably get a comfortable win there. 4.45pm on Saturday, an intriguing matchup at Giffen Park, Cooperoo versus the UQ Red Lions. Yeah, you're right. It, it is definitely intriguing. and I, I'm just a bit coy on Cooperoo at the moment. I think it, just given their opening start to the season, I, I feel like they, well, while they have got uh, so many names back at I really do like the form of a team like UQ and um, I feel like when we look back at the end of the season, a game like this one is probably one that will will shape um, how the finals bracket um, kind of finishes after round 14 and that's because obviously Cooper had the slow start. They've got some form and UQ uh, obviously thereabouts at the moment and I think it probably could be between those two who finishes um, in that Braxton, who misses out. So a massive, massive game in the scheme of things. But I, I think I'm probably leaning towards UQ at this stage. And finally, 4.45pm at Maroochydore Multisports Complex. The Roos play host to the Wilston Grange Gorillas. Yeah, and it was Maroochydore who kind of broke their hoodoo against Wilston Grange um, earlier in the season. So I think they'll you know, be confident they can do that again. And I'm confident they can do that again. I'll probably tip them against Wilson Grange, who um, they should probably add, add back a few more names into their lineup. I know Kate Lutkins, I think, is still 
um, with her ADF duties. Um, so she might be missed. Um, Marucha will probably get back Carly Randall, I think, for the game. And uh, I just think Marucha, they've got something special happening. I don't know if you know that means finals, but it definitely has improved on last year. And I think the kind of belief that's instilled in that team now is enough to, to kind of carry them forward. Well, that is our look at round seven and preview of round eight of the QAFLW competition. And thanks very much for joining us. And we look forward to catching up with you again next week. Uh, no worries. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Across to the West Australian Football League women's competition. Round five played over the weekend on the Saturday. Claremont 4-5-29 defeated East Fremantle 4-4-28. On the Sunday, Peel Thunder 2-7-19 went down to Subiaco 10-10-70. The competition will have the bye for the long weekend. And finally, joining us here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival, he's our lead caller, and he's probably called about 100 of the near 200 games that we've called of senior women's football. It's great to have on the line Matthew Cox. Coxie, how are you? Yeah, very well, Pete. Very well. It is a significant milestone and uh, one that I feel very privileged to have been a part of over the last few years, being able to see... Women's footy evolved from uh, what was really an amateur competition when uh, we first called together out at Piranha Park and to what we have now with the VFLW. It's been a, a great journey and one that, as I said, I feel very fortunate to have been able to broadcast. Probably don't like hearing too many of the early games and uh, the voice that's uh, on there, at least that's improved slightly over the last 200 games. But um, no, it's been a fantastic journey and a great milestone that you should be proud of too, Pete. Round four of the Swiss Wellness VFL Women's Competition was played over the weekend. We'll start, first of all, with the match between Hawthorne and Williamstown, and this ended up a lot closer than a lot of people expected. Yeah, it did, and at quarter time, it was 2-1 apiece. So Williamstown really brought it uh, to Hawthorne, which is encouraging from them, as we've mentioned numerous times over the last couple of weeks. Williamstown, a very young side, still learning their way um, in this new landscape of the VFLW. They've got a lot of young players, uh, a part of it, that have stepped up from local footy. Coming up against Hawthorne, who haven't been firing on all cylinders, um, and it looks as though they failed to do that again. Even though they did have a lot more scoring opportunities, their possession was 59 to 41%. Um, so controlled play, but on the scoreboard, they were very inaccurate. 4-11-35 to 4-2-26. Good kicking from the Seagulls, kicking them, keeping them in the contest. Beeson kicked two for Hawthorne. Meg Hutchins floated forward. Sarah Perkins also contributed with a major whilst Whiting kicked two in what has been a very impressive opening month of footy from her. Crawford kicked one, and Moana Hope also scored a major on the weekend in this tight tussle out at Box Hill City Oval. Flanagan was the leading possession getter on the ground with 23 for Hawthorne, whilst the leading uh, possession getter, in addition to her two goals, was Shani Whiting with 18 touches. Melbourne University, 4-10-34, went down to Richmond, 5-7-37, and a close one at Arden Street. Yeah, a real arm wrestle uh, from the looks of the score sheet, and again, inaccurate kicking looks to have cost Melbourne University. Uh, Richmond jumped out of the blocks at uh, half-time. They led by three goals, and Melbourne Uni were yet to impact the scoreboard with a major. They just had the four behinds at half-time, and 
Uh, then they they ended up finishing four ten thirty four to five seven thirty seven. So a brilliant second half on the Muggers, but as I said before, inaccuracy costing them. Three goals to Jasmine Garner though, impressive. Kate Gillespie Jones also contributed with one goal. Bailey, Brank Hadasano, Brennan Colwell and Stuhl Smith were the five individual goal kickers for the Richmond Tigers. The stats across the ground were fairly even apart from hitouts, 41 to 19 in favour of Richmond. Uh, the inside 50 is very close as well. So it was only really the hitouts that were the major differential in terms of team stats from the individual stats point of view. These are the top six players on the park from Saturday. Ash Riddle with 33, Katie Brennan with 31, Bruton with 27, Garner with 22, Gillespie Jones with 22, and Monique Conti with 20. There's some star-studded names in that lineup. It would have been a great game to watch, and it was, as we've already alluded to, it was a real tight arm wrestle that went right down to the wire. The drought has been broken for Essendon. 5-2-32, defeating Carlton 2-3-15 at Windy Hill. Yeah, I, I do want to point out that I tipped that result uh, on the show last week. Um, the Bombers getting their first victory. They've had a good start to the season. It might be their first win, but they've been competitive for most of it. They've only really been blown out of the water by Richmond uh, a week or so ago. Prior to that, they really took it up to both Geelong and the Casey Demons. Carlton, an interesting start to the season. We know they they are not uh, they haven't got a full complement in terms of their AFLW list running out onto the park. They still do have a couple of players there, which it surprises me that they haven't been able to impact the scoreboard as much as they would have liked. Um, and the Bombers, uh, it was all pretty much even at half-time, and they ran out brilliantly in the second half, uh, Carlton failing to score in the final term. Mia Ray Clifford kicked a goal. Nat Clay also contributed up forward for the second week in a row. While Quigley quick kicked three, Bullis kicked one, Stepnell kicked one. It's nice to see uh, Alex Quigley at the top of the score sheet there. She's a player that we've seen for quite some time over those 200 games, Pete, uh, playing initially with the Spurs and now at the Bombers. And she's had a lot of talent. She's also had a few issues away from football. Um, but it's nice to see that she's uh, fit firing and kicking goals for the Bombers. The leading possession getter on the ground on the weekend, Hayley Bullis racked up 28 touches, 19 kicks and nine handballs, also laid eight tackles. She is an absolute machine when it comes to applying pressure on the opposition. Nat Plain was the leading possession getter for Carlton on the weekend with 25 disposals and also uh, had five tackles and five marks to her name. In our match of the day on Saturday, it was Collingwood and the NT Thunder. It was a close one between them last year at the venue. This time around, it was all the Magpies, 5-10-40 to 1-1-7. Yeah, well, it, was, it was a strange game. It was one that, from a Collingwood perspective, you, you have to uh, get some joy and excitement out of it because of the players that ran out onto the park for them on the weekend. Chloe Malloy played a half of football and looked really good, looked like she hadn't missed a beat uh, or hadn't missed a game, I should say, uh, over the last few months. So that's a positive sign from her perspective. Breed Avey slotted in beautifully at centre-half back and running through the midfield as well for them. Just looked uh, composed with ball in hand and was at her brilliant best. Jamie Lambert was solid. 
Uh, Britt Benici, I think that's the best game I've seen from her for quite some time, which is uh, encouraging. And Gemma LaJoya was uh, a, a joy to watch, pardon the pun. Uh, but she really uh, excited up forward, uh, applied pressure, kicked the goal as well uh, from the boundary line, uh, was uh, was really impressive on debut. So there's a lot to like about the Collingwood side. Uh, they look like they've returned to their structure of 2018 in the VFLW, which is positive for them. And, of course, won them the minor premiership last year. So it'll be interesting to see how they go for the remainder of the season. The Northern Territory Thunder were missing quite a few players. Um, we spoke to the standing coach, Ricky Nolan, prior to the game. And they've had a bit of an inconsistent run in terms of players coming in and out of that side due to various commitments. So it wasn't the strongest Thunder side out on the park. They were competitive in the opening half, uh, with Hewitt kicking a goal right on the quarter-time siren. They applied a lot of pressure, but were unable to convert in the second term. And then Collingwood just got on top in uh, the second half. Uh, again, inaccuracy costing them in a way. Allen kicked a goal, as did Dargan. As I mentioned before, LaJoya also kicked one. Jamie Lambert kicked one. And Chloe Malloy, she could have had more than one. She kicked one goal four in her uh, half of footy on the weekend. And as I mentioned, Jasmine Hewitt, the only goal kicker for the Northern Territory Thunder. Leading possession getter on the ground, Bree Davey, in her debut in black and white stripes, racked up 30 touches, laid five tackles and took five marks. Angela Foley was the leading possession getter for the Northern Territory Thunder with 25 disposals, three tackles and five marks. Across the games on Sunday, the GoFooty.Live match was the Western Bulldogs versus Geelong, a low-scoring scrap, and it was the Dogs that won 3-1-19 to an inaccurate Geelong 1-6-12. Again, a game that was fairly even uh, in the opening half of footy, two scoring shots to the Cats, uh, one scoring shot to the Bulldogs. Unfortunately for the Cats, their two scoring shots were behind and the Bulldogs kicked a major and that was their, the tale of their day really. Geelong, they uh, pushed a few wide in the in the third quarter as well and uh, were unable to, to restrain the Western Bulldogs who kicked away in the final term. Jolly, Marshall and Scott were the goal kickers on the weekend for the Western Bulldogs. Uh, Brooke Lachlan was named among their best players, as was too good. And interesting to see Danny Marshall is now also on that list as well for them. So that hype continues to build for the American. The goal kicker on the weekend for the Cats was Kate Darby. Jordan Ivey was named one of the best players, along with uh, Goring and Blakeway. And finally, to the game that was played at Casey Fields in Cranbourne, the then undefeated Casey Demons going down to the Southern Saints. 1-6-12 to 3-5-23 to just shake up the ladder a bit. Yeah, this this was going to be a, a tight affair. And I think we previewed it last week by saying that it could really go either way. The, the form of the two sides coming in had been fairly solid. So this, this was shaping up to be a, a very interesting contest uh, for them. And unfortunately, my technology's failed me for uh, this game, Pete. So I haven't got the goal kickers in front of me. But it was uh, a good performance by the Southern Saints to get over the line. Um, the KC Demons, they've had a strong start to the season. As I mentioned last week when we chatted about them being on top of the ladder, I wasn't surprised given the opposition they've come up against. This was probably their first real test uh, coming up against a side in some good form. Mm. Um, 
whilst they didn't win, I think they're going to be there or thereabouts based on the performance on the weekend. The Southern Saints continue to get stronger and stronger, which is encouraging to see. A goal kickers on that game. I've got Tara Bahanna with two goals. Caitlin Greiser uh, also kicking goal there for the Southern Saints. And I've got for the Casey Demons there, sole goal kicker uh, was uh, Chantal Emmonson. Uh, Libby Birch named best on ground there for the Casey Demons. While for the Southern Saints, uh, their best on ground. Play that impressed us last time, Samantha Johnson. So good to see some of those uh, younger names uh, popping up. But as you mentioned, for the Southern Saints, besides dropping that game against the NT Thunder in Darwin, things just going along nicely for Peter Searle's team. Yeah, and I'll, I'll just uh, butt in to say that the thing I like about the Southern Saints, and it's almost mirroring what Collingwood did last year in the VFLW, they've obviously got some talented players with AFLW experience on that list. But their VFLW list is also stepping up to take accountability and responsibility, and that's giving them a good, consistent team across the park. They all know how to play their role and do it well. So uh, there's just a similarity there uh, I'm noticing between Collingwood and the Southern Saints. So let's turn our attention towards round five of the Swiss Welders VFL Women's Competition. The early game is our match of the round for Saturday and our 200th match broadcast of senior women's football. Carlton versus the NT Thunder. Bounce down to 11am. We're on air at 10am at La Trobe University in Bandura. This is an intriguing game. Obviously, the Northern Territory Thunder, it'll be their second week in a row that they've had to come to Victoria. Carlton still searching to um, just find a bit of momentum and a bit of confidence in, the, in their game after a poor start to the season. Um, really undecided about which way this could go. Um, the Northern Territory Thunder, they looked good for flashes on the weekend. It depends how many players they can get back in to their lineup this weekend for the Blues, whether they're tempted to bring back some of their AFLW stars to try and get some chemistry going for them and consistency across the park. So really unsure about where this one could go. I'll lean the way of the Thunder based on ladder positions, but that's the only thing that um, is... Uh, weighing my decision at the moment without seeing the selected squads for the weekend. Saturday, 11.30am at Downer Oval. Weemstown play host to Melbourne University. On paper, it's uh, the bottom of the table taking on the side that is currently sixth. But considering Melbourne Uni's loss and Weemstown pushing Hawthorne and depending on what the cold old Melbourne weather does over the next few days... Could be very interesting down at Downer Oval. Yeah, and don't forget the last time these two sides play, the Seagulls knocked Melbourne Uni off, but it was a very different looking Melbourne University lineup that had a lot of uh, younger players without AFLW experience in that side. So uh, very different. I think, again, for Williamstown, and I'll keep banging on about it for as long as the season goes on. They've just got to keep getting encouraging signs out of each match. They've got to hit the little milestones, and they seem to be doing that so far. They were very competitive last week against Hawthorne, which follows on from a fairly solid week uh, prior against the Casey Demons. So if they can just keep getting these little wins under their belt, I think they're going to be in a fairly strong position for the long term. I'll 
expect Melbourne University to get over the line. Weather conditions will definitely play a part at Downer Oval. Um, so margin I'm predicting will be around three to four goals, but expecting the Seagulls to be competitive. 12pm Saturday at VU Witten Oval. It's the Western Bulldogs versus the Darabin Falcons. Yeah, this is another intriguing game. The Falcons coming off the bye last weekend. The Western Bulldogs currently sitting on top of the ladder without a loss so far in 2019. Um, would expect them to win at home. It'll be interesting to see how the Darabin Falcons come out after their bye, whether they've had some time to just consolidate after a tough opening stanza of the season, uh, whether they're able to respond and come out firing. But uh, as I said, I expect the Bulldogs to get the job done. Saturday, 2.30pm at the Swinburne Centre, otherwise known as Punt Road Oval. It's Richmond versus Geelong. This will be the second game as part of our doubleheader on Saturday. We're picking up the coverage from 2pm thanks to GoFooty.Live relaying through RSN Carnival 2. Yeah, this will be another uh, great game and another great contest. Both uh, Richmond and Geelong have uh, been up and about in the early part of the season. The Tigers... Uh, doing well. They've won all of their three games so far. Uh, Geelong only have the one win on the board at the moment against uh, the Bombers, but their form um, has them there or thereabouts, apart from their opening round loss to the Muggers. So uh, I'll tip the Tigers, given that they have a fairly solid list in at the moment with your likes of Katie Brennan and Nick Conti playing a role in addition to some of their other VFLW talent, but I wouldn't be surprised if Geelong's able to pit them at the post. The standalone game on Sunday, 11.30am bounce-down. We'll be on air at 11am. It's the Casey Demons versus Collingwood at Casey Fields. Yeah, this this shaping up to be another uh, test for the Casey Demons coming up against the Collingwood side that's found their mojo over the last month, which is encouraging for them. Um, I'm going to go the way of Collingwood. I, I'm really impressed with how they're structuring up at the moment. And obviously, as the, the players keep coming back into that side, we await to see how far away Steph Giocci is. Uh, Chloe Malloy, you'd expect to get a few more minutes than what she got on the weekend as well, so that impact will be greater from her. The Casey Demons, as I said, it's going to be another test for them to see where they fit into this BFLW season. If they can run Collingwood close, then I think they're on track for, for a great year. If Collingwood's able to get a, a decent margin on them, then I think they've got a little way to go before they're considered a potential finalist for the 2019 season. Going the way of Collingwood here by five goals. The Southern Saints, Essendon and Hawthorne having the bye in round five. Coxie, thanks again for joining us here on RSN Carnival. We look forward to your company this weekend. Yeah, looking forward to it, Pete. And uh, as I said at the top, congratulations to you on uh, reaching a significant milestone. This is a production that uh, you put together, so you should be proud of the achievement. So that wraps things up for yet another week here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN 927's digital radio channel, Carnival. This program is available as a podcast from Thursday mornings by going to the RSN website and clicking on the Women's Australian Rules Football page or by going to Spotify, SoundCloud, iTunes or Google Podcasts and 
and searching for Women's Australian Rules Football Radio. You can find us online at twitter.com forward slash WARF radio, facebook.com forward slash WARF radio, or our website at WARFradio.com. And don't forget to join us on RSN Carnival 2, the home of women's football this weekend, as we mentioned, on Saturday morning at 10 a.m., Carlton v. the NT Thunder, our 200th match broadcast of senior women's football, followed up at 2 p.m. by GoFooty.Live's coverage of Richmond versus Geelong. Then we're back on Sunday at 11 a.m. to bring you the game between the Casey Demons and Collingwood Magpies out there at Casey Fields. That's all coming up this weekend on RSN Carnival 2. Please join us then. I'm Peter Holden. Thanks for your company, and it's bye for now.